Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The title of this message is File It. It's going to be a deep message. I encourage you to listen very carefully. I encourage you to follow along in your notes that are provided. They're also in the app. And I'm calling you to today to trusting God when things happen that are very difficult to understand. I believe that God is calling some of you today to file an area of your life that you've been struggling with because you can't figure out why it happened. And today, God is going to say to you, I want you to file that away. Trust me, even if you don't get your answer, even if you don't get your questions answered to your satisfaction, and I know that this is not going to be easy, and I'm asking God to really give some breakthrough for some of you today and those of you watching online. So would you pray with me please? Father, we ask in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will move in our time together, give us understanding into your word and into your character. And I pray especially for those who carry baggage, those who carry things that have happened to them or others that they have wrestled with and never been able to get peace about. I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit and your sovereign goodness, you'll bring them to a pivotal point of really being able to rest in you, even if all their questions aren't answered. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's where we're going to go in this message. I'm going to give you kind of a thesis statement. Um, Then I'm going to present four passages of Scripture, beginning in Deuteronomy 29, to support this. And then I'm going to give some biblical and modern-day examples of people who have lived what we're talking about today. And then I'm going to conclude with four practical ways that you can hopefully apply this to your life in a way that's going to be incredibly helpful. And in the first service, we saw an amazing response, and I believe the Lord is going to move today in this service, and so I just really encourage you to listen with an open heart. Some of you have been through difficulties and situations that you have really carried and you can't get released from. Others of you, maybe that hasn't occurred yet, but this may be a message that builds up your spiritual artillery so that when that comes into your life, you are equipped and ready to handle it. Here's my thesis. When something happens in our lives that is hard to understand and tests our faith to the core and causes us to ask, why did this happen? How could a loving God allow this to occur? We may not get a satisfactory answer to that question. This side of heaven, we may not fully understand why it happened, but we must get to the point where we're willing to file it in the Deuteronomy 29.29 file, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and trust God and cling to God just because He's God. And when we do this, that is when the supernatural peace and power of the Lord comes upon us to do amazing things in our hearts, deepen us in Him, and even use us as what we call wounded healers to help others in similar situations. So let me just consolidate that a little bit more. There will be things in many of our lives that we will not understand why they occur. And as long as we demand an answer to that question, we may never get over the hurdle of the issue that happened. But when we come to the point when we are willing to file it away and say, God, this side of heaven, I see in a mirror dimly, then I'll see face to face, 
and I'm going to trust you, I'm going to cling to you, I'm going to look to you in the midst of this difficulty so that by your grace you pull me through better instead of bitter. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Now before I read the verse, it's interesting to note the context. Because in verse 24, they're asking this very why question. Deuteronomy 29, 24, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? And then in 29, 29, he says, and this is a key verse, this is where my title, File It, comes from. The secret things belong to the Lord. The things revealed belong to man. In other words, some things God does reveal to us, and other things He doesn't. We must be willing to humble ourselves and file things in what I call the 2929 file where we are okay with not having all the answers. Because we are not God and we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face, we can ask and we can seek God for the answer. But it may remain one of those secret things belong to the Lord. God will reveal enough for us to make it. God will reveal enough for us to make it, namely about Himself. And that leads to our second passage, key passage, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now notice what this second part of the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say, and knowledge about why everything happens. It doesn't say, and knowledge about getting all our questions answered. But what does it say? Knowledge of the Holy One, that's the understanding we need. Knowledge of God. Knowledge of His character. Knowledge of His nature. Knowledge of His goodness. Knowledge of His love. Knowledge of His faithfulness. Knowledge of His sovereignty. That's the understanding we need not the knowledge of why everything happened. 1 John 2, verses 12 to 14. In this passage in 1 John, if you've been around here long enough, you know that we base our discipleship curriculum on this section in 1 John 2, where he says, I write to you children. Then he says, I write to you young men. Then he says, I write to you fathers. We believe that is a spiritual progression of maturity. And so our transformational discipleship module one is for the spiritual child, and then two is for the spiritual adolescent, and module three is for the spiritual adult. This is a person who's reached a new level of maturity. I believe that what we see in 1 John 2 verse 13 is one of the keys to moving beyond just spiritual adolescentness into spiritual maturity and adultness. And it says this, I write to you fathers, that's a high level of spiritual maturity, Because you have known Him who is from the beginning. This is the person who knows God. They know that He's faithful from beginning to end. They've seen His faithfulness in their life from beginning to end. They've been through difficulty. Their faith has been tried and tested to the core. But they know God. They cling to God. They say, God, I'm not going to let go no matter what happens. And they know Him and they know Him deeply. They know Him intimately. They know Him experientially. This is the spiritual adult. And I pray that each of us would reach that level of spiritual maturity, but it will not come without severe testing. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Familiar passage where it's to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. 
In other words, there comes things in our lives that if we lean on our own understanding and we try to figure it out and we demand all the answers, we will not progress. And so we have to lay aside our understanding. We have to lay aside our humanity. And we have to trust in God and not lean on our own understanding, but instead lean on a correct understanding of who He is. You see, life is much like a parade. We see the parade only with what's right in front of us. But God is on the 20th story of the building, seeing the parade from the beginning all the way to the end. He sees everything in the middle. And so we are skewed and limited because we only see what's in front of us. But God sees the whole picture. And it's often like a quilt where what we, how we view life is, is the backside of the quilt. And if you look closely at this quilt, you notice that it's scattered, it's messy, there's loose ends. There's, I mean, maybe from where you sit it looks nice, but if you come up close, you see all the fragments and all the material that goes into it and the, the uneven cuts and the, the sewing that was done. And that's kind of the way we view life. We see the mess and the yuck and the pain But God is looking at how He wants to put together a beautiful tapestry shaped by His wisdom, shaped by His goodness, shaped by His sovereignty, shaped by His love. And so part of this journey that we're talking about today is helping, is is seeking to see life more from the angle of God and not just ourselves. Now I want us to look at some examples. I'm going to give you some examples from Scripture, and then I'm going to bring in some people from history. We begin with Joseph in Genesis 38 to 50. Joseph, if you recall, he was rejected by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He was falsely accused of seducing Potiphar's wife, when in fact he did the righteous thing and resisted that temptation. He could have easily said, look what's given me for obeying God. Boy, God sure did forsake me. I've been obedient. I resisted that temptation. And look what I get. I get to, I'm falsely accused. I'm put in jail for something I didn't do. Then he interprets the dreams for the guys in jail. They forget him. Years later, he's overlooked. Then finally, things begin to change. He begins to see things from the other side of the quilt. He's promoted. He's used by God to save his family and many others' lives. A key point in his journey was he forgave his brothers. He prayed for them. And God began to bless him. And then in Genesis 50, verse 20, he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. He saw life from the sovereign hand of God. Now the repeated phrase that's used throughout this journey in Genesis 38 to 50 is this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Boy, he must not have felt like it many times. I'm sure at times in his humanity and his understanding, he felt abandoned by God. He felt forsaken by God. He wondered if God took a nap and this all happened and God just kind of missed, missed the cue to, to reign and He got off His throne. But yet through it all, the Scriptures repeat that phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Job loses all of his sheep, all of his workers. His seven sons and three daughters are taken. And his wife says, curse God and die. Then he's stricken with painful sores on his body. At first, he amazingly worships God. He says, God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of God. He begins well, but then he begins to develop a demanding spirit. 
He begins to demand a hearing with God. He he begins to say, if God will only let me make my case in heaven, he will understand that he is wrong and I am right. He had the counsel of his friends who didn't give him wise counsel. And he was in a mess. And finally, God sits him down and lectures him and tells him that he is in control. And he begins to say, Job, when's the last time that you commanded the rain to fall from heaven? When's the last time you commanded lightning? When's the last time you created the heavens and the earth? And it silences Job and it stuns Job. And in Job 40 verse 2, the Lord says, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Wow. Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Job, you're leaning on your own understanding. And then in Job 42, if you want to turn there, right before the book of Psalms, Job 42, the Lord, or it says, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job realizes he, was, he had spoken out of turn. He has to repent, and he humbles himself before God. And at that point, the Spirit of the Lord began to, to change things in Job, began to bless him and reward him and do amazing things in his life. Now, one thing about Job's example that I want to note is that it shows us it is okay to be totally honest and transparent with God as long as you do not develop a demanding spirit. Demanding that God do what you want on your terms. Job developed that demanding spirit, but he repented of it. But it does show us that it can be healthy to vent, to to just pour out your heart to God. The Bible says, pour out your heart to the Lord. We see this in the book of Psalms where the psalmist often just poured out their heart. God, why do my enemies prosper? In vain have I kept my heart pure. And struggling with, with why these bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people. And so as long as you, at the end of your venting, at the end of your honesty, you come to the place where you say, God, you are God and I am not. God, I'm going to trust you because you are who you say you are. Even if it's not what I feel like. Even if it seems to go against my circumstance. God, I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to hold fast to you. That is when the grace of God begins to pour out and bring depth and healing into your life as never before. Jesus. Never has a man been more unjustly treated than Jesus. Never has a situation at the time been more difficult to rationally understand. You ask that, why do bad things happen to good people? Why does the most vicious punishment happen to the most innocent man who ever lived? And yet, through it all, God's sovereignty, goodness, and love shows through. And we have the salvation of all mankind made possible because of the intense suffering that the most innocent man who's ever lived endured for you and me. J.R. Tolkien, who is the author of Lord of the Rings, based upon this example of Jesus, came up with a phrase or a word. And I love it. It's 
you catastrophe. You means well or good, and catastrophe means tragedy. And it's an example of great good coming out of enormous tragedy. Great good coming out of enormous pain. Peter, in John chapter 21, if you want to turn there, I I just find this account in Peter's life so interesting. Peter's being so Peter in this passage. It's after Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and he's appeared to people. And now he's issuing to Peter a prophecy about his future. Peter, here's what you have to look forward to. As I'm about to ascend, and you're about to be filled with the Holy Spirit, hallelujah be to God. And so he issues this challenge to Peter in, in, in John 21, verse 18. Truly I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Oh, baby. Peter, something's going to happen to you. You're going to be led to a place where you do not want to go. You, you wouldn't have chosen this on your own. This is not something that you would embrace in your flesh. What's he referring to? He's referring to how Peter was going to die. How did Peter die? Crucified upside down. When he was martyred for his faith in Christ, he said, I'm not worthy to die like my Lord. Verse, eight, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. In other words, Peter, I'm not asking you to agree with this. We're not in a debate about whether this is going to happen. We're not in a, in a negotiating situation where you can barter and, and make, something, make me change my will for you. No, this is your destiny. And I love what, what we see next. Verse 20. So Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John who's writing this gospel, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper, and it said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter, check this out, 21, 21, when Peter saw this, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? <laughs> he tried to deflect attention. Well, what about him? And what does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you you follow me. Whoa. What I do with Peter is my own sovereign choice. You, Peter, follow me. I believe the Lord is saying that to some of you today. You want to compare your situations. You want to say, well, why did this happen to this? Why has this happened to me? And yet my relative or my brother or my coworker or my whatever, they've never had anything like this. And, and you, you've taken that martyr mentality. You've taken that victim mentality and, and you've wanted to point fingers at others, and you've wanted to, to just get the, you've tried to deflect attention from what your lot in life has been, and God is saying, follow me. Trust me. You may not get all your questions answered. You probably won't to your satisfaction. Lean not on your own understanding. The secret things belong to the Lord. You follow me. There's so many examples from the history of Christianity. I'm just going to pick a few. Charles Spurgeon is considered one of the greatest preachers who ever lived. He struggled much of his life with severe bouts of depression. But through it all, it caused him to be more dependent on God, much like Paul and his thorn in the flesh. And Spurgeon says the doctrine of God's sovereignty 
is the overarching doctrine that will sustain anyone through anything. Johnny Erickson Tata was diving into a, a body of water when she was 16 years old and she was paralyzed from the neck down. She struggled. She went through increasing bouts of questioning why and how could a good God allow this. She even contemplated taking her own life at one point. But through it all, she trusted God and has developed an incredible ministry to the hurting and to the handicapped. Nick Buchesik was born with no arms or legs. I don't know if you've seen any videos of this guy speaking. They literally put him on a table in front of a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers. Those young men and women who maybe struggled just that morning with why they had a pimple on their nose or why their hair didn't turn out the exact way or, or why they weren't popular or why they weren't accepted onto the baseball team that week. And then Nick begins to share with no arms and legs about the joy of the Lord being his strength and his purpose in life and his trusting God amidst his incredible infirmity. And you look around and all of a sudden you see these little middle schoolers just weeping. And you go, I don't have any problems. Fanny Crosby, due to the mistake of a doctor at the age of six weeks, was blind for the rest of her life. She ended up coming to faith in Jesus Christ and writing over 8,000 hymns. One of those is blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. All of her songs have some mention of sight in them. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. They asked Fanny Crosby if she could have her sight back, would she? And she said this, If I had a choice, I would still choose to remain blind. For when I die, the first face I will ever see will be the face of my blessed Savior. Mm. B.B. Warfield became a great theologian, taught at Princeton Seminary. What few know is that on his honeymoon at 25 years of age, his new wife was stricken with lightning and was paralyzed the rest of her life. He cared for her until she died, seldom ever leaving his home. But through that time of solitude and through that time of being in, kind of not able to get out because he cared faithfully to her, he studied God's Word. And he drew near to God. And he became a theologian. On the other hand, Ted Turner turned his back on God when his sister was not healed. He says, and I quote, I lost my religious belief when my sister got lupus. She was 12 and she died at 17. I was 15 when she got it. She was ill and it ruined her mind. She became insane. She used to go around the apartment and run into padded walls and say, God, I'm in such pain. Please let me die. How could God let my sister suffer so much? She never did anything wrong, Turner said. 
and he abandoned faith in God because of that situation. Beloved, don't be like that. Don't let that happen to you. Be like those who experience you catastrophe and not just catastrophe. Be a Peter, not a Judas. Peter sinned, repented, was filled with the Holy Spirit, mightily used of God. Judas sinned, was stricken with shame, took his own life. You see, when these things happen, they can, they can almost become like a fork in the road. They can either drive us to God into an utter surrender and dependence on God where we experience Him at a level we never have before, or, and this is what the enemy would want because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the enemy would rather have you go away from God, turn your back on God, blame God, and be forever emboldened in bitterness. Don't let that happen. So let me give you four things. There's so many, but these are four that I think can help you become better, not bitter. And the first is develop a deep knowledge of God. As we learned in Proverbs 9, verse 10, it's, a, it's knowledge of the Holy One that gives you the understanding you need. It's that deep, abiding, conviction, knowledge of God. Knowing His nature. Knowing His attributes. Clinging to those. Believing them. Even if it doesn't fit your emotions. You stand on truth. You believe truth. You stand on the nature of God. The foundation of a healthy, vibrant house is the foundation of an accurate, biblical, truth-based understanding of who God is. That He is, first of all, sovereign. He's in control. He's reigning and ruling. His sovereignty, I believe, is the most important attribute to have a conviction about when difficulty comes. He rules over all. He's in total control. He's outside of time and circumstances and sees the beginning and the end. The Bible says the nations are but a drop in the bucket to Him. He puts down one, He raises up another, and Romans 8.28 is still true. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. We also cling to His love, that He is loving at the very core, that He is for you, not against you. Romans 8 says nothing can separate us from His love. Tragedy, circumstances, peril, sword, nakedness, famine, all those things listed in Romans 8 that, that it says don't separate us from His love. If you look at them and begin to meditate on them, you think every one of these are things that could cause me to question His love because they are difficult circumstances. But it assures us that it doesn't separate us from His love that His love has not changed, that He cares about you deeply. And another attribute is just His goodness, that He is good, that His goodness and His faithfulness endure forever. And then there's this other aspect that, that may be new to some of you. It's what John Piper calls future grace. In Piper's book, Future Grace, he talks about how you can expect the grace now for something you're not going through. I, I, I can't expect to have the grace for, if I, for, for tragically losing a child. I've never tragically lost a child. But if I do go through that, God ensures that He will give me the grace in the future for whatever I would encounter. That's what future grace is. It's knowing in your knower that God will give you 
Because He promises that His grace is sufficient for any situation. And so you don't have to expect the grace for something you're not going through. But anything you would go through, He will give you the grace for that. And another aspect of His nature and character and just His way of working that is so helpful in this discussion today is what we call wounded healers. In 2 Corinthians 1, it says that that He comforts us in all our affliction so that we can then comfort others with the same comfort we ourselves have received from God. And so one of the beautiful ways that God works, and I see this all the time in ministry, and this is one of the things I love the most about pastoring, is seeing people who have been through difficulty, but they cling to God, they hold fast to God, they trust God, and God deepens them through that. And they then, from that test, have a testimony. You cannot have a testimony without a test. And in that testimony, they are then able to minister to others who go through something similar. And when they do that, it not only blesses the person they minister to, but it actually is redemptive in their own life. They say, you know what? I would have never chosen that. You know what? I would never want to go through that again. But because of what God did in me through that, I'm able to help this person. And it's a beautiful thing that he does. Second, unconditionally trust God. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, it says that we are to walk by faith, not by sight. And I believe the highest level of faith is when you trust God when there's no apparent reason to, except that He's God. You're not trusting Him because things go well. You're not trusting Him because you have the emotion and the feeling. You trust Him and hold fast to Him because He is who He says He is. And so you cling to Him. You hold fast to Him. You refuse to let go regardless of the circumstances. And that is when His power and presence kicks in. Thirdly, you receive uncompromising counsel. See, Job did not have this with his so-called friends. They were giving him unwise, unbiblical counsel. What we need are friends who know God and know His Word. And will speak the truth even if it's hard for us to hear. Proverbs 27.6 says, The wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. We need people who love us enough to speak truth to us even if it's hard to receive. And then fourth, and oh this is so good folks, rejoice in your eternal home. Now listen, this is only for those who are truly born again. Who've repented of their sins and put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. If you've truly been born again, if you've truly received Christ, if not, today you need to do that. You need to invite Christ in your life. You need to be born again and saved. But for those who are truly saved, we can rejoice that God provides us eternal life. He promises a coming kingdom, a new heaven and a new earth where only righteousness dwells. There'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more Satan. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more tragedy. There'll be no more abuse. Hallelujah. There'll be no more cancer. There'll be no more COVID. There'll be no more wars, rumors of wars, 9-11s, because we will forever dwell with God and His people in perfect joy, perfect peace, perfect holiness, perfect harmony, and perfect love. I don't say that to make you feel better today. I say that because it is the truth of God's holy word. And we stand on truth and the truth will set us free. This blessed assurance of our eternal and certain future should give us great hope. 
and motivate us to not let anything hinder or derail us from fully trusting God. For this life on earth, as hard as it can be at times, is a blip on the scale compared to eternity. It's a mist, it's a vapor, it's a shadow of time compared to life forever with God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 17 says this light and momentary affliction is nothing to be compared with the eternal weight of glory that will be revealed to us. Oh, that every person now, today, in this room and watching online, oh, that we might all hear those incredible words from our Master and Creator, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful servant. Faithful through the trials. Faithful through the testing. Faithful through the unanswered questions. Faithful when things happen that absolutely rip us in half. But God is the faithful God we can cling to. And He promises that His grace is sufficient. And He promises that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And He promises that He can give us the strength, the grace, the love, and the mercy that can bring us through it. So these four practical things, there's so many, but these are four that I felt would be most helpful today. So let's review them. We need to develop an absolutely deep and abiding and biblical knowledge of God. We need to unconditionally trust Him. Receiving uncompromising counsel of godly people. And ultimately looking to our blessed eternal home with Him in glory. Amen. Well, I want you now to hear from a beautiful member of our church, Gina Hernandez. So Gina, would you come now? And I want you to hear her story. I just, I just need to pray. Holy Spirit of God, would you just descend on this house? Would you just descend on me and tell your story through mine? Do what you need to do. Break my heart again if that's what you need to do. Speak to each of us in this room. And Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Amen. My name is Gina Hernandez, and my children and I were led here to Living Hope back in November of 2020, and we became members in April of 2021. Um, I just want to tell you just a little bit about a part of my story, um, and it's about my husband, Ben. I met my husband, Ben Hernandez, on Christmas Day in 1988, and he was beautiful. He took my breath away for the next 30 years, and we sang together on stages in English and Spanish for most of those 30 years. We wrote songs together, and I sang with him. He played keys and acoustic guitar, and he led worship and praise, and I sang with him, kind of just beside him, right over there. I never got in front of him. I just kind of stayed beside him. And the Lord blessed us with a 24-year marriage. We have seven children, six daughters, and a little boy at the end. Four of my seven children are here today, and I'd like them to stand up. Real quickly, just so y'all can see them. This is Daniela and Josiah and Isabella and Sophia Hernandez. And we have three more daughters who are in other places. During our marriage, we did not always have an easy go of it. Uh, we went through some things. 
some things I don't have time to share today, but through hell and high water, we stayed together with the Lord and with each other and our undying love for each other. With that love, we could face anything. Our children were with us. They saw God taking care of us, and they saw him moving us and changing us in many ways for the good. In 2014, we moved from Southern California, where, where Ben is from and where we spent most of our marriage in Los Angeles. We moved from Los Angeles to Watkinsville, Georgia, and the next four years were very healthy and strong in every way. And then um, one day in late August of 2018, thing, things were just not okay. And after a night in the ER, Ben was diagnosed with a stage four malignant tumor that was completely blocking his stomach. And after seven weeks of treatment, which he handled like a champion, we decided to transfer to a treatment center in Baja, California for some alternative care. But things took a turn, and on December 16th of 2018, at just 45 years old, with six of our seven children still living at home, and only 96 days, 96 days after diagnosis and treatment started, Ben and I, forehead to forehead, we took his last breath on earth together. And he took his first breath in heaven. And to say that the children and I were lost without our Ben is a huge understatement. There are really no words to express what that loss looks like for me and for our children even today. But when he died, I read every book I could get my hands on about heaven because I just wanted to know where he was, what it was like on, on grief, on healing, on loss and restoration. But I found two things about myself that were really interesting. After being in the ministry for many years, I found that I could not pray out loud. I could pray in my mind, but I couldn't get the words to come out, and I could not worship. And those things were super foreign and scary to me, because those are two things that I enjoyed the most about my relationship with Christ. So two years, and that was a heavy and a dark time. But in early 2021, I finally said to the Lord, I'm halfway in the grave with my husband, Ben, and I know I, know I need to crawl out of here for my children, but I don't know where to start can you help me? Can you help me? And not only did he show up big for me, he actually personally led me to every step of healing that he had planned for me in 2021. One day I'll somehow share that journey with y'all, but I wanted to make a mention of it because there are many people, and my friend Lisa is right here, many people, many people in ministries that were brought front and center to me, specifically by God. They listened to my story. They mourned with me. They taught me. They worshiped with me and over me and prayed with me and over me and they prayed me to the point where you see me here today so I don't want to skip that this isn't Ben died and all of a sudden everything's great there, there was a journey there was a journey and for people who are grieving and mourning in your churches wherever y'all are if you're watching online just know that there's also triggers to grief and mourning and for a family who's in ministry that keyboard right there on a church stage was a huge trigger. It was very difficult for us to be back in traditional sanctuary where we could just not see Ben, not hear his voice, not see him with both hands raised with his leather stomper boots and his Levi's and his awesome leather jacket. Um, and we just couldn't see him anymore. And so, so those triggers had us 
worshiping at home and learning at home. And I, I'm, I'm just saying that because I want the church to know that if people are mourning and you don't see them, please don't automatically think that all of a sudden they've lost their faith. It's not, it's not always true. Some of us are just home doing it different until the Lord heals that part of us to where instead of being a trigger, it's beautiful. I can listen to keyboard now and acoustic and I just say, Jesus, thank you because you gave me 30 years with the most amazing worship leader and musician and, and best friend and husband and, and it's not, it doesn't hurt anymore. But just, I wanted y'all to keep that in mind. Don't automatically assume that people have lost their faith if you don't see them here. Keep praying, keep praying them in. They'll, they'll come back when they're ready. So today, I learned many things last year, but I want to share one thing that God showed me. He took me back to a familiar passage in Scripture, and it's found in 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, and it says this, But the moment that one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted, and they see. And now the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. And we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces. And with no veil, we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. And we are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Holy Spirit. I had always spoken on this passage and taught about it in relation to salvation, which it is referring to in verses 14 and 15, but God showed me something more in verses 16 through 18 that I just read to you. He showed me that in my life, my grief and disappointment that Ben wasn't healed and anger had become a really dark and heavy shroud, and it had become a veil that prevented me from accessing the presence and the glory of God. I was wearing the cloak of shame. It was my widowhood. And as hard as I tried with my willpower and immersing myself in worship music and the word and self-help Christian books on grief and recovery, by myself I could not remove that veil. But when I allowed the Holy Spirit to be Lord again, there was some freedom. There was a lot of freedom and joy. And he came so close to me and he removed the veil. He removed the shroud of grief. He removed my veil of disappointment, the dark, heavy veil of anger about a future that I could no longer have. And he removed that veil, and I was finally able to open my fists. And by that I mean, and if anybody has gone through something and you're a little bit miffed with the Lord, you, you may understand. You may be here in church and people are lifting their hands and they have open hands and you're holding on and gripping that chair like it's going somewhere. And I remember Pastor Jonathan, he was leading us about a year and a half ago at least. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. And I could not let go of my chair on to you are all things. I could receive the gift of Ben from the Lord, and it was beautiful, but I could not turn my hands over to release him back to his creator. But when I let the Holy Spirit be Lord again, and he lifted that veil from me, I was able to unclench that fist and lift up my palm to the Lord and release Ben back, because I'm not Ben's creator. He was a beautiful gift, but I didn't think of him. I didn't cause him to be. 
And I was finally able to say, thank you, Jesus. I have so much gratitude for this beautiful man that you put in my life, this wonderful father to my kids, this man who has preached salvation and who has sung, and so many people have received healing through his ministry, and he just has the best dimples, and he's just the best. And, and thank you, and thank you. And I was able to release him back to his creator. And that doesn't happen easily either, but I'm telling you it can happen. And some of you today, even as believers in Jesus, you may have allowed a veil of disappointment or abuse, trauma or offense, a spirit of poverty or fear to cover your spiritual face. And you, you want to experience the flow of the river of life that comes down out of the throne room of God, but somehow you feel that you can no longer access the presence of God. But today I want to invite you to unclench your fist and to open your palms up to the Lord God who loves you and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to just overwhelm you and give him permission to remove whatever veil is between you and the presence of God. Just release it to him, speak it out loud, say, I don't want this heavy veil of pain or guilt or shame to keep me from your presence Holy Spirit, take this veil away and I will exchange my spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise. And I want to be close to your heartbeat, Jesus. I want front row seats to the throne of the Most High God. I want to see your glory. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. And when you do that, just watch all of those dead places come to life again in you as you surrender the lifting of the veil to your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gina. Let's pray as we respond to the Lord today. God, we are so thankful that your word gives us just enough light to make it. Help us, Lord, be okay with what we don't know. Because we are not you, but you are. And now I pray the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit to come upon those today who need to make a fresh surrender. Release things to you. Put things in the filing cabinet that they've held on to. And so, God, I just invite the Holy Spirit now to just move in a powerful way across this beautiful congregation to bring healing and relief and just that, that grace to surrender. Would you release, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray, the grace for there to be deep surrender that results in great peace. I want to invite any of our prayer team to begin to take your places along the sides to be available to pray with anybody who needs it. So if our prayer team would do that now. And now I invite each of us to take out your sermon notes and you'll notice at the very bottom there is a little place there that says, I surrender this to God. And I'm going to give you a few minutes you before the Lord, if there's something today that you know He's calling you to surrender to Him, yield to Him, 
you're willing today to maybe say, God, even though I may never get all my questions answered, I'm going to choose to surrender and trust you. And to my left at this cross, there is a backpack attached to the bottom of the cross. And so maybe today it's something that you feel has been weighting you down. And and you're going to take this, you're going to tear it off, you're going to write down a phrase or a sentence, and you're going to go put it in that backpack. It's just a, a way of physically demonstrating that you're giving that, releasing that to God. Or maybe over here to my right, there's a filing cabinet at the base of that cross. Maybe it's more meaningful to you. Say, I'm willing to file that thing. I'm willing to file that thing that, I've, that I don't seem to get an answer to. I don't want to hold on to it any longer. I'm going to file it in the secret things belong to the Lord file. I'm going to be okay not knowing why if God doesn't choose to show me. And I'm going to surrender that to God. And so I just want to encourage you now, just get before the Lord. I'm going to give you a few minutes to do this. And uh, to, to write down that phrase or that sentence that you need to give to God. And then to come out of your seat, take it over to either the backpack or the filing cabinet. And then if you need prayer from somebody on the prayer team, they're available for you. And so we'll just give you some time to do that now.